from the studios of One Jacks Productions. This is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Man, I just feel like this year went by fast. But So we still do have a couple of weeks left in it. It's not over quite yet. And so obviously we are finishing up uh, our conversation on the tabernacle. And reminder for uh, some uh, who may not have been here or, or just to kind of catch up real quick, um, we, we, we did a two-year study on the book of Acts, right? Uh, actually, it was a little longer than that. And that propelled us into, okay, and as we walk through the book of Acts, if, if, if you remember correctly, we stopped at every point that uh, a New Testament book was actually written. And we did a, a quick overview of that book to kind of get a feel for what was going on. And then, uh, of course, we ended the, the, uh, the Acts series uh, probably about three months ago. Um, and then what I told you is, okay, what we want to do is now look at the rest of the books that Paul wrote, uh, or even the rest of the New Testament books. And before we do that, I think if we're really going to get this thing of what Paul's writing about and what he's explaining, we must, we really must understand this tabernacle. Now, although the tabernacle, no questions asked, is an Old Testament uh, uh, structure that was laid out for the Jews to come and uh, uh, the nation of Israel uh, was to, uh, you know, have a king, they were to be a kingdom of priests. And, and certainly uh, we, uh, we, we look at that and we go, you know, we don't bring animals to a temple to sacrifice them. That would be weird. Don't do that. Okay. We don't, uh, although we don't do any of those things, clearly God doesn't do anything by mistake. The whole system of the tabernacle, first of all, in its uh, uh, very basic understanding, it was a representation of something that's in heaven right now. Okay, and so remember now, you know Moses went up on that mount, and we all think that he just came down with ten commandments. And yes, that is true, but there was something else he came down on that mount uh, with also that we don't give a lot of attention to, and that is he got the pattern of the tabernacle. God gave him the pattern that he was to be, you know, Moses says it quite a few times, and, and, and set up the tabernacle as shown by the pattern on the mount that I gave to you, something along those lines, right? And so he was supposed to set up this tabernacle on planet Earth, and again, it was a visual representation of what is in heaven. Okay, again, we got all that for the Jews. What does that have to do with us, Pastor? Well, Paul uh, explicitly, point blank, over 40 times, word for word, pretty much, references verses out of the book of Leviticus, which the book of Leviticus is the sacrifices that took place within the tabernacle. So the fact that he's referencing back to that tells us, okay, now wait a minute now. This, this tabernacle structure, although it was physically for the Jews, there must be some kind of spiritual application for us. Right? And we, I think we all know that by now. We've been, we've been studying this thing now for almost three months. I think y'all see that now, right? On top of the fact that besides the direct quotes, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to tell you, man, 
Jim, you probably could back me up on what I'm about to say right now. Maybe 70% of what Paul's talking about has reference to the tabernacle. And you're going to completely miss it if you don't understand this tabernacle thing. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity before us because we are probably heading into, I never ever would say that there's one book more important than another in the Bible because that would be an unfair statement. All 66 books are important. God gave us 66 books, they're all important. But if we're going to say there are some books that are more important on certain subjects than others, I think that's fair to say. Okay, if we're going to study prophecy, well, then we better understand Revelation and we better understand Daniel. Very important books to understand if you're going to study prophecy on that subject, okay? If you're going to study or want to understand the church, this, this thing, this entity that we are calling, uh, uh, that the Bible calls the body of Christ, listen, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. You have to go to Ephesians first. It is the most important book to explain to us this body of Christ. That is obviously the next book that Paul wrote. He's in a, he's in a Roman prison now. Remember, that's how he ended up at the end of Acts. And in that Roman prison, he's going to write uh, four prison epistles. Those four prison epistles are the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians, and uh, of course, uh, a, a side book, if you will, called Philemon, okay? Those four books, in that order, were written while Paul was in this Roman prison. Obviously, Ephesians, I've just told you, it is the epitome of understanding the church. If you want to know what this thing is, if you want to understand what our purpose in it is, if you want to understand what God's trying to accomplish through it, if you want to understand what's going on in the church today and how we are losing out on what we're supposed to be doing because we're focused on all the wrong things, Ephesians is a great place to start. And if you want to start calling out a lot of false doctrine, Ephesians is a place, great place to start. Okay, Because it will call out some pretty major false doctrines that are being taught in churches today. And y'all know me enough by now, I am absolutely 100% a big, staunch believer on, I don't care what I think. What I think does not matter. What this church stands for and what it thinks does not matter. What the great pastor on the radio or the great pastor down the street has, it does not matter. If we're going to get this thing called the church right, all that matters. End of story Nothing else matters, okay? God's word is the authority on the subject. What does it say? End of story. There's nothing else to talk about after that, right? We're looking at this thing uh, uh, called the tabernacle. And now, if you remember correctly, I'm going to move over here, Dave. If you remember correctly, and again, I just want to give a quick review, if you will, um, I'm going to turn that a little bit if, so everybody can kind of see it. If you can't see it, well, blame uh, David because he's standing in everybody's way. Uh, so what you have, sitting, excuse me, what you have is a structure of curtains that were built around this uh, uh, building, if you will. Uh, it was a tent inside of this structure that's called the tabernacle. In the 
section out here is what's called the outer court. As you enter into this structure called the tabernacle, this is called uh, the holy place. And then there was the veil, there was a curtain, and behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And that was called the Holy of Holies. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus uh, is, 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 is a great place to go to kind of get a feel for everything I just talked about. Okay, this was four pillars that allowed you access into the tabernacle. Now listen, if you want to understand the Gospel of John, I'm going to tell you right now, this is what he's talking about pretty much throughout the whole gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is making a lot of I am statements. Yep. Matter of fact, seven. he makes seven of them. Okay. By the way, there are seven structures in the tabernacle. Hello. <laughs> you remember over in John chapter one where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 12, it says what? or 14, excuse me, says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt uh, is a Greek, in its Greek form, literally means tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. Why? Because this whole structure is Jesus. It speaks of Je everything that was in it spoke of Jesus. I mean, remember in the first couple of times we met, we talked about the different, how they use gold, how they use silver, how they use bronze, and how they built everything on bronze, and then they put silver rods. And you remember how we talked all about that? Well, gold in the Bible represents deity. It represents uh, kingship. Silver in the Bible represents atonement. Uh, 30 pieces of silver uh, was, uh, was, uh, uh, what was used to portray him. Okay, uh, bronze, uh, very clearly in, in, in John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter one, when John sees the, the, the glorified Jesus, uh, he has feet of brass. It speaks of judgment. This whole structure, everything, every minute detail, although it seems very meticulous to us, and although we go, oh, well, come on, that's just crazy stuff. That's why most people just move right past Leviticus and move on because it just seems so minute to us. The key is, though, if you actually stop and start reading what it says, there is a lot of, first of all, I think Leviticus is one of the most prophetic books in all the Bible. Okay, how about that? Okay, but number two, everything that God did all spoke to a truth, a very important one. Now, although we don't have to do those things, those truths never went away. They're still the same for you and I. Do you understand? just in a spiritual aspect. If we want to understand some things about what this Christian life is supposed to look like, this is why Paul says very, very obviously in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what? Don't you know your bodies are the... The tabernacle is a temple. That's what it ends up being. Y'all with me on this? Okay. Paul's very clear on that. Don't you know? Almost like you should know. <laughs> but the problem in Corinth is they were a very pagan church. They were, although there were believers in that church, there was also people in that church that was causing a lot of problems and division and issues. Okay? And Paul's letting them know, hey, don't you know? 
that that temple is in you? Church, don't you know that temple is in you? What do I do, Bill? Talk to me. I hear stuff. Back. That's right. Bill tells me every week, and I never listen to him. I don't have to listen to God. I don't have to listen to Bill. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. I just don't listen to him. That's bad. Okay, anyways, I think I fixed it. I think I did. Okay, thanks, Bill. Um, so, so, again, this temple thing uh, uh, is a very important structure to understand. I think we all know that. Um, uh, again, you see some things up here that, uh, that uh, we have talked about. Uh, the first thing you come to when you get into that temper, uh, into the, 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 the area, and remember, do remember, four, four pillars. Well, I wonder why there'd be four pillars. How many Gospels were there? Okay, God's always doing something. There's a reason for it, okay? So you get into these four pillars, and the first structure you came to, and we've talked about this obviously in great detail, is the altar of sacrifice. And on that altar of sacrifice, how many offerings did they make? Five. Why? Because five is the number of death in the Bible. That's what it represents. It's also the number of grace in the Bible. That's also what it represents. Here's a nice, neat little trick if you want to have some fun, uh, the first man uh, who was uh, ever created, Adam, dies in Genesis 5.5. I'm sure it was by accident, right? The first person in the church age that dies, uh, dies in Acts 5.5. Hmm. It's almost like God's trying to tell us something, right? You can't make that stuff up. It's, 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 it's just crazy stuff like that that you go, huh, CC... In the music factory, things that make you go, hmm, right? Yeah, only older people know what I'm talking about right now. The rest of you are like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, so, okay, uh, yeah, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, she's laughing. All right, I got somebody with me. Uh, listen, so um, when you get to the, the, this altar of sacrifice, there's these five major uh, sacrifices that took place on that altar. And don't, listen, whatever you do, don't ever take one and make it more important than the other. All five of them are important. All five of them speak of a different aspect of salvation, okay? But all five of them are needed. Unfortunately, what I think we've done in the church today is we've just put emphases on one of them and not the others. Well, that's a problem. God obviously laid out five. He didn't say, just make sure you do this one. These other four, get around to it if you did. No. All five of them had to be done. Now listen, all five of them had to be done if you were going to be holy as he is holy. If you didn't do all five, was the priest holy as he is holy? And by the way, don't you dare walk into that tabernacle without all five. Y'all with me on this now? Okay, I'm trying to give you the emphasis, man, that God has put on this thing. There is something very important about all this that we got to get. Okay, so the first one was that burnt offering. It was that burnt offering. What is the burnt offering? Well, you were to take an animal, a spotless, sinless animal of the herd. <laughs> Interesting, right? Jesus was spotless, he was sinless, and he was of the herd of the herd of the Jews. He was one of them. He became one of them, right? 
and, and you, you lay that animal down on that altar, okay, and the, the sinner would put their hand on the animal, Jim is an animal, okay, and, and, and listen, it would, uh, it would pre- re- represent the transferring of sin to the animal. And then, of course, the priest would uh, sacrifice the animal, and we talked all about that. And man, there's a lot of pictures in there that are really, really interesting if you want to understand what that all meant. But no, that's what the burnt offering was. The burnt offering then, as uh, 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 Paul calls it, okay, it was a sweet-smelling to God. It, it brought up a sweet smell to him, okay? And, and Jesus, of course, is the burnt offering. He died on an altar of wood, amen? Okay, y'all, y'all see the pictures there, okay? That's what happened. And he shed his blood, and the blood that came off of this burnt offering, they were to capture it in a basin pan, and then the, what they were to do with that blood right there is they were supposed to sprinkle it on everything. Take the blood out of the message. Let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that blood is the key to salvation. You need that blood of Christ. Amen. It is the cleansing material, if I can say it that way. I don't know, material might not be the right word, but cleansing agent. How about that? That sounds better. Okay, that, that is an important aspect to it, okay? So the next thing was that meat offering. And I told you, okay, for all you guys in here, we're not talking about steaks, okay? We're not going to offer up some, some, some cows and things. That's not what he's talking about here. What you start uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture, what you realize is that meat offering is actually a fruit offering. It's kind of the same thing as you see what's going on with Cain and Abel over in Genesis chapter number 4. Cain brought an offering from the field. Abel, yep, Abel brought an offering of, 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 of an animal. He, so did Cain bring the wrong offering? No. He brought it at the wrong time. That was the issue. Okay? And Cain got really upset about all that, and he done killed his brother. That's how mad he got about it. Sin lies at the door when you do things according to your own will and not according to his. That's the teaching and all of that, okay? But what is that meat offering? It's a fruit offering. You're to take the offering from the, the, the ground and those first fruits of the ground, you're to offer it to the Lord. Now, we go fast forward to the New Testament. What does that all mean to us? Well, Jesus was the first fruit offering, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, he was the first fruit offering. And beyond that, John chapter 15, we are to bear fruit based on being his disciples. So you want to understand what what it is we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Well, you should be bearing fruit. Oh, what does that mean, bear fruit? John 15 is very clear on what it is it means to bear fruit. Winning people to Christ building them up in their faith, and sending them out to do the same thing. John 17 is also very clear on that, which is literally what the work of the Lord actually is. You win people to Christ, you build them up in their faith, quote-unquote, discipleship, and you send them out to do the same thing. If you're doing anything else in the church setting, you are not doing anything that's worth it to God. And if you think that what I just said 
is a wrong statement, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to go read Ephesians. Because when we get there, you're going to find out that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. There is nothing else. That's it. That is our purpose. That's why he left us here. That's why he didn't take us the moment we got saved. Because we are to be winning people to Christ, building them up in their faith, and sending them out to do the same thing. There's nothing more, nothing less. That is the will of God for all of us. End of story. Okay, and you're going to see that if you don't see it now. You're going to see that clearly when we get to Ephesians. Okay, I promise you, you will. All right, so that's the, that's the meat offering. And then you have the peace offering. Well, why do you have the peace offering? Because listen, prior to coming to your salvation, John chapter 3, if, if, you, if you need a reference, verse 18 and verse 36 tells us that uh, uh, we uh, were condemned already. It's not that we're going to be condemned. We're already condemned, okay, Because when we were born into this world, we were born into disobedience. We were born after the image of Adam. Now, I know that there's a big teaching in all the churches today that says, oh, we're all children of God. We're all born after his image. No, we are not. That absolutely makes no sense to what God is trying to accomplish in and through us after we come to Christ. And if that's the case, you may as well throw Romans 8 right out the door. Put Romans 8 on the, uh, on the shelf and completely disregard everything that Romans 8 is talking about. Because in Romans 8, what Paul's saying is, hey, you need to be transformed back into his image and he is adopting you into his family. If you are already a child of God, why the heck do you need to be adopted into his family? That doesn't even make any sense. And if you already had his image, why, does he need, why do you need to bear the image of Christ? That doesn't make any sense. No, the reason why is because the Bible actually teaches we were children of disobedience. We were conceived, David says, in sin, in iniquity. We didn't get this thing until we put on Christ. Then, then and only then, will he begin the process of transforming you back into his Y'all with me? This is what he's trying to get us to be like because this is showing you who he is. God is a master teacher of similitudes. That's how he teaches. That's how he shows us things. What's a similitude? It's a picture. That's what God does. That's how he teaches us. He uses physical things in the physical realm to teach us spiritual things. Hello, Ephesians chapter 5. He uses the husband and wife to show you what that's supposed to look like so that we can understand what the church in Christ is supposed to look like. He's using things to sh- things that we can't, can't understand in the physical realm to show us things in the spiritual realm that, hey, without the Spirit of God in us, we aren't going to get it. Do you understand? Okay, so the peace offering is the fact that we were at enmity with God. We were at enmity. What does that word enmity mean? War. We talked about it in our Bible study last night, right? You remember, remember last night when I said, hey, before salvation, we're in a battle we didn't even know we were in. We're at, a, we're at war and we didn't even know we were in a war. We didn't even know it. We just continue living our lives like everything's cool. Well, wait a minute, time out. You are at enmity with God in that situation. John 3, 38, yeah, is that right? Or is it 36? Says, six. six says that the wrath of God is already abiding on you. The wrath of God, that, that's war right there, man. He's coming back with judgment. The wrath of God's already abiding on you. We need peace. You understand? And the only way you get peace 
is through the one that died on that cross. Paul says it like this, he is our peace. <laughs> okay, that's what the peace offering's all about. Now, do you remember, if, if you remember, those first three offerings, there was something different about them opposed to the last two offerings. Those first three were sweet-smelling to the Lord. But those last two were not. They did not send up a sweet, why? God is never, ever pleased with sin. There is no sin offering that could be made that he'd be pleased with. Do you understand? Now, now listen, don't misinterpret that with the burnt offering where he paid for sin. Okay, does that make sense? The sin offering, what God's saying is, listen, Okay, because now if you look at the sin offering and you look at the trespass offering, chapter 4 and 5, yeah, Leviticus, uh, uh, listen, they seem almost kind of the same. And you kind of go, well, wait a minute, man, why, did, why is God doing this? This is why God's doing it. The sin offering is blatantly, you know, you done doing wrong. You know it. You did wrong. You knew you did wrong. You knew you affronted God, and you did it anyways. Okay? Did, did Jesus need to pay for those sins? Yep. The trespass offering is, you done affronted God, and you didn't know you did it. You weren't aware of the fact that you did it. You need those ones to cover too? Yeah. You see the difference between the two? Okay? One is you know it. The other one is you didn't know. Okay? Both have to be taken care of. Sin needs to be taken care of either way. But the other part of that trespass offering that's important is it also, and it's very blatantly talking about not just sins and trespasses we commit against God, right? What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second one? And love your neighbor as yourself. And what, that's, what that trespass offering was all about was you need to, to love your neighbor. You, you need to come out, not commit trespass sins against one another. Is everybody with me on all this? That's what those five offerings are all about. All five of those offerings are absolute... He became sin for us who knew no sin. He was our trespass offering uh, over in Colossians. He was our peace offering uh, over in Philippians. He, he was our fruit offering in 1 Corinthians 15. And he was our burnt offering, Romans 5. Romans, y'all with me, right? There's all kinds of places we can go and see all five of these, how Jesus did them all. But it don't stop there. And this is where the Christian loses it today if they truly are born-again Christians. It's not just about the fact that he needed to do all those things. You hear what I'm about to say? You need to do them. That's what Paul's talking about very, very point-blank in Romans chapter 12. Chapter 1 and 2 especially, by the mercies of God, I beg you, present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. By the way, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? It's your reasonable service. He did it for you. 
Now you need to do it for him. Hence the reason why Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Hence the reason why Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. Christ liveth in me. Hence the reason why Romans 6, 3 through 10 talks about this transaction that takes place when you accept and receive what he did and you put yourself in his place as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when I say put yourself in his place, you can't. But what I do mean by that is you have identified with him. You put your flesh to death. That's why he starts right off in Romans chapter 6. I mean, gosh, we talked about this last night. Yeah, ladies? Right? That's why he says in Romans chapter 6, right off the bat, he comes right out the gun and he says, so then, should we continue in sin? God forbid. No. No, don't you know what he did? He paid for it so you don't have to continue to do it. Listen, that's what this altar of sacrificing is all about. There's a lot of major components to it, and you're going to see it all over Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Romans. Y'all with me on this now? That's, you're going to start going, oh my gosh, that's what he's talking about. How many times have we done that, Jim? We didn't even know that we, that's what he was talking about. We look at, oh, that's what he's talking about, Okay. Well, okay, after you're done with the altar of sacrifice, then you got to come to this next structure, which is called the labor of washing. Go, can you guys click me on that? Labor of washing? There you go. Okay, and what is it that the labor of washing teaches? And I'm not going to spend as much time in the next couple because I just spent a lot of time on that first one. But what does it teach? It, 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 it teaches the basic facts. So, so get it, okay? You walked into the, the tabernacle. You committed your sacrifice. When you're done committing the sacrifice, you need to walk over to the labor of washing, which was this big circular structure, as you can see on the board here. Okay, uh, not board, I guess it's a TV. Okay, and then, and then what you do is, first thing is when you look in it. Well, what happens when you look in water? What do you see? You see yourself. I mean, come on now. Scripture should be popping in your head all over the place. James especially. Hey, when you look into this structure, what God wants you to do is take a look at yourself now. Okay? Take a look at yourself. And then what do you need to do? Put your hands in that water and wash your hands and your feet. Yeah? That's what you're supposed to do with the labor of washing. Why? Because what does the water represent in God's word? Ephesians 5.26, if you need the absolute, boom, there you go, there it is, right there. It represents the Word of God. You want to know what washes and cleans you? Does Pastor Frank wash and clean you? Does the church you go to wash and clean you? Does the dude down the street that thinks he's smart, does the guy on the radio? No, there's only one thing that will wash and clean you, that is the Word of God. It's the engrafted Word that saves your souls, okay? That's the only thing that can wash and clean us. You gotta go to that labor of washing. You gotta let that, wa Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, hello. You gotta let the word of God, which is quick and powerful, show you for who you are so that it can expose you for what you are so that God now can actually do what he needs to do inside of you as he cuts away the junk. It's a sword. You wanna know what you can do with a sword? 
You can do two things with it. You can stab somebody and kill them, or you can cut away the parts that need to be cut away. That's what the Word of God is. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 says it's a two-edged sword. That's what it is. Which edge are you going to take? Are you going to take the edge that's stabbing and killing you? Because that's what the Word of God is going to do to you one day, because at the end, in the last day, you're going to be judged, and you want to know what's going to judge you? The Word of God. And if the Word of God does not find you innocent, you know where you end up, right? Okay? But if the Word of God does find you innocent, you know where you're going to end up, right? <laughs> okay? It's the Word of God that does that. By the way, who is the Word of God? And all, all judgment has been committed to the Son. It's almost like God wrote the book. It's almost like he did it, and he knew what he was talking about when he wrote it. Problem is, we don't listen. We're so bent on our own ways, we aren't listening to what it actually says. Okay? Listen to what it says. And you go, man, it's just it's such a burden. It's so, and I feel like Frodo. It's such a burden. You know, listen, it, the Word of God is not a burden. Stop thinking that it's a burden. The Word of God actually will set you free. Yes. It will show you, you don't have to live in bondage. Because that's where you are. You're, and you don't even realize it. You, we don't even realize how in bondage we really are. The Word of God will set you free from it. It will free you from those things in our life that need to be cut away. Okay? It's not this system of things. I used to always think that. I didn't get saved when I was 28. I thought I saw it to God's word and, and people that pre preached it and all, you know, people like me. Like, I just thought they were just a bunch of people, who, idiots who wanted my money and that just wanted to bring me back into bondage in a different way. No, 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 no. If you really understand the word of God, it does the exact opposite. It does the exact opposite of that. And God certainly doesn't want anybody's money. He don't care about your money. He knows your heart. And that's what he uses money for, to check your heart. You see? God's going to get what he needs to get done with or without you. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Where your heart is, is where your treasure will be. And God knows that. And so he's going to use money as his system of checking your heart. You want to know how much you love God? I would say well, a good place to start is your checkbook. And now that sounds very pastoral, and uh, I'm just telling you, that's what God uses as his systems of checks, because he knows what money can do to people, and he knows how much that we are all idolize money. He knows it. And he says, oh, well, listen, okay, so who's the one that gave you the ability to earn that money right there in the first place? Yeah, that's right. Who, who's the one that gave you the ability to do that? There are people, okay, right now that don't have use of their arms and legs and can't do what you can do. Do you understand that? They can't work as you're working. Who gave you the ability to do that? God's saying, oh yeah, that's right. It was me. Okay, so let's check. Let's check and see where you're at with this. Y'all get that? Most people don't get that. I didn't get that for a long time. It's not about the money. Yes, God will use the riches of this world to glorify his kingdom. I got no problem with that. It's his kingdom to begin with, and the riches of any riches of this world are his to begin with anyways. Okay? But that's what he does. That's how he checks us. I don't even know how I got in there. I don't know why I got in there. I just did. Okay, so we're done with the labor of washing now.
Now we enter into the actual tabernacle itself, okay? When you enter into the tabernacle, remember now, okay, these guys didn't have electricity. They didn't go to the right there and flip the switch and all the lights all came on. Okay, there we go. No, this structure, remember it had the badger skin over it? And then over the badger skin, there was another layer over it, right? The badger skin's black. So just imagine now, uh, when you walked into this thing and that curtain shut, what did you see? Zippo, dark. The lights were out, man, okay? So now you have a choice to make. Either you're not going to go left or you're going to go right. You could try to go forward if you want, but you're probably not going to be happy with what happens if you go forward. Okay, so you're going to go left or right. Okay, well, what happens if you go right? Well, to the right is the table of showbread. Okay, we're going to be talking about that table of showbread here in a moment. I'm going to explain something to you about that table of showbread that's very important, but I do want to talk to you about you're not supposed to go right first. Just understand that. You can't go right first. Does that make sense? Why? You can't see anything. I mean, it only makes obvious sense. Well, I better go light the candlestick so I can see what the heck I'm doing here. Okay? You got to go to the left first so you can light the menorah, the candlestick. Well, we talked about this done last week. Oh, 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 we, we really looked into this last week, didn't we? Listen. This is what God wants you to know about that candlestick. He is the source of light, and you can do nothing without his light in you. He is the light of men. What does Jesus say? I am the light of the world. Without me, you can do nothing. And you lit that candlestick with oil. Oil all through the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. Listen, you got to get lit by the Holy Spirit, right? You remember that? And no, we're not getting drunk. Who, who was uh, getting drunk last week? Well, that was Andrea, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting lit by the Holy Ghost, man. He's moving up inside of you and he's illuminating you. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, hello. We're going to talk about that, huh? He's illuminating you. First Corinthians chapter two, hello. He is giving you eyes to see. What does Jesus say? Except the man be born again, he cannot. The kingdom of God. He's, he's telling you, hey, you need me to understand that. You got it? Without me, you ain't going to get this. But you want to know what most people do? Unfortunately, people that are, and listen, this isn't a condemnation so much as just it's dangerous. How many people learn just enough Bible to make them dangerous. And can I tell you what happened? They got on fire for God, man. They, they went to that altar of sacrifice. They went to the labor of washing. They walked into the tabernacle, and you want to know what they did? They went right. Because what is, and let's talk about that now in our closing moments here, what is the table of showbread? The table of showbread is the place where God wants his people to know that he is the source of life. Because what is the table of showbread and what does it represent? It represents the word of God. Bread 
oftentimes in the Bible represents God's word. By the way, what came down from heaven in the, with the Israelites over there in the, in, the, in, the, in the book of Numbers chapter 16? Manna, and then, and then and what, they were all like, what is this? We don't know what this is. What is this, right? I mean, there's a whole teaching and all that that I would love to kind of get into, uh, but um, we probably don't have a, 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 the full ability to do that. But, but do note this. Numbers chapter 4, verse 7, calls it the table of showbread. Why? Because they were to take the bread and they were to put it on this table, okay? And there were 12 pieces of it, by the way. Why 12? There were 12 tribes of Israel. But hold on a minute. We've been saying all along, but well, there's a spiritual application to us. How many disciples were there? That was the foundation of the church? 12. You see? Okay. And by the way, what, were the, what was the job of the disciple? Honestly, the apostles. I'm talking about the 12 apostles. Do you know that most of your New Testament was written by the apostles? Did you know that? Yeah, they were. They were the foundation of the New Testament. They were the foundation of what God was going to use to show his word through to the New Testament and, and in what we ultimately get to. God uh, wants to nourish his people. And how does he nourish his people? Huh? Through the word of God. That's how he does it. You remember over in 1 Corinthians 3 when he's talking to those Corinthians? And he says, listen, I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now. Okay. He says, listen, I wanted to feed you with meat, but I couldn't. All I could give you was milk. You want to know why? Because you're a bunch of babies. And babies, a newborn baby, if I try to give them some meat, what's going to happen if you give a newborn baby some milk? Or I mean some meat? Well, he's going to done choke. First of all, he can't even eat it because you got to feed it to him. He's liking this to the word of God. He's saying, I can't give you the meat of this book because you can't take it. You don't get it. So I'm just going to feed you with milk. But he wasn't saying it in a nice way. He was saying it as if, don't you, you guys have been Christians for how long? How do you, why do I still have to give you milk at this point? It's a condemnation he was shooting against them. Gosh, do that in a church today. You'll, you'll, you'll get people flying out the doors. Hey, how long have you been a Christian for? Five years. Well, good, man. Five years. The disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half, and look what they knew. If you're at five years, okay, we should be able to have a good conversation. You want to know what most people are still doing today? Walking in that wilderness. Never getting to where God wanted them. Never getting to the promised land. Never getting there. Why? Because they're too busy murmuring. They're too busy arguing. They're too busy, they're, they're too busy focused on self. That's why they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years. They were too busy focusing on self. Did God still nourish them? Yes, he did. And he still tried to help them. We got, can't be a people that do that, man. This table of showbread is a very important uh, aspect uh, to it. The, the other thing that you want to know about this table of showbread is that um, 
what, what was the big thing about bread, if you, if you remember? What, what, what can't you put in bread? Leaven. No, because why? Because what does leaven represent? It represents sin, okay? And, and, and God is saying to these guys, and if you read uh, Exodus, I think I got the verses up there for you if you want to go look back at it, but Exodus 25, uh, Exodus 37, uh, listen, he, when he talks about this table of showbread, he's very, very clear about making sure there is no leaven in there. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, uh, I think I have that up there, right? I don't? No, I, I might not. Let's go there. Maybe that's what I wanted everybody to do. Yeah, I did. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. Let me show you, let me show you something real quick. Because Paul's talking about this. And he, he's, he's talking about, uh, remember, there's a guy in the church, uh, the Corinthian church, who is uh, uh, committing fornication. Uh, what he's doing is he's having sexual relations with his husband, uh, father's wife. Okay, so this is going on in the church. And what he says is, in, in chapter 5, he says, it is reported commonly that there is a fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Okay, y'all with me here? And, and he says, and, and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I was present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, now watch, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole bunch. Purge out the old leaven, that you might be a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. No doubt about it. No questions asked. He is done talking about what's going on up in this tabernacle. That's what he's talking about. And what he's saying in, in, in a understandable way, what he's saying is there is sin in the church and you guys aren't taking care of it. Instead, what you're doing is you're laughing about it and say, oh, that's just them. Hello. Well, that's just the way I am. It doesn't matter if that's the way you are. You're not supposed to be that way. And God's saying, hey, hey, get into the word of God. Let it show you what you are so that he can transform you into what you're supposed to be. The problem in many churches today, we, we wipe sin under the rug way too much. And then we wonder why we have problems in churches. Well, I'm gonna tell you why, because you got a bunch of sinners running around. That's why. And if you let the sinners run the show, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Come on, it ain't going to be good. And we wonder why churches split up. We wonder why things happen. Because we're letting a bunch of sin run around. We got to stop it. That's what Paul is saying. And what is it that he is referencing? What is it that's going to show us for what we are? And what is it that's going to help us get right? The Word of God. That's what it is. That's why we need this table of showbread. Uh, I got an interesting one. Look at Leviticus 24.5. I think I got this on the board. Yeah. Now, now watch what it says here. It says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake 12 cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake, and thou shalt set them in 
You see that right there? Two rows. Six on a row. Go back to that picture, Aaron. That's how they were supposed to do it. And you sit there and you go, huh, now why do they have to do it that way? Why do they have to do it that way? Well, there were 12 tribes. Okay, I get that. But couldn't you just take them and put them in rows of four? Why did you stack them like that in Y'all been here long enough, you know what I'm going to say, right? How, how many books you got done in your Bible? How many you got? How many is that? 66. 66. It's almost like God knew there were going to be 66 books in the Bible. Not one more, not one less. 66. You need all 66 of them. They are your counselor. They are your teacher. That is what you need. He put them in, in the row on purpose to show you who he was. Going back to that, uh, that verse now, there's another interesting word in here. Do you see the word there where it says uh, cakes? You want to really just fall off your chair, have a good time? You know, all I can think is that uh, Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation. Well, that's just a knock and He goes out and whatever he says there, and he says, that's just a fall off your chair. And he, listen, listen, that word right there, if you cross-reference it, and then if you uh, look at the Hebrew behind it, do you know what the word means? Pierce. How about that? How about that? What you want to do with that? Who was pierced on the cross? The word of God was. You had to pierce each one of these cakes. <laughs> I love it. It's almost like God done knew what he was doing. It's a beautiful thing, man. This book is no joke. And, and if you want to know anything about that pierce, look at Psalm 22 and Zechariah 12.10. Okay, listen, uh, go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This is going to be your blatant, uh, straight up, no way around it now, kind of, there's no doubt about it what this is talking about. So you're in John chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 33. Uh, Jesus is, now get it, okay? Jesus is sitting there, and he's having a conversation with a bunch of his disciples. Not just the 12, there's a whole lot of them there. Okay, they're all around him, kind of like this setting right here. Obviously, I'm not Jesus, so don't, Jesus is in me, amen, praise the Lord. Okay, but, but listen, kind of get the picture Here's Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples, and they're having this conversation, they're going back and forth, and when you get to verse 33, he drops this. He goes, uh, 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 verse 32, then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth Life out of the world. Pastor Frank, what's he talking about? Okay, well, let's keep reading. Verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Um, uh, but, but I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. Drop down to 48, verse 48. He says, I am that bread of life. 
your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. That the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Uh, uh, so listen, uh, keep yourself there because I want to show you something here that's very important. Jesus has got his, his, his boys and girls and he's telling them, I'm the bread of life. That, that manna over in number 16, hello, it's me. That, that bread in the table of showbread, it's me. Because he is the word of God. Y'all with me? How that connection comes? Okay, that's me. He goes, listen, this is what you have to do with me. Eat me. We all, whoa, brother. Now remember, these are Jews. They knew what cannibalism was. And they knew cannibalism in the Old Testament was strictly forbidden. And they're all going, hold on a second now. And then he goes on to say in the next couple of verses, he that eats of me and drinks my blood. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, now you're telling me I got to eat your flesh and drink your blood? Nah, 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 bro. You all messed up. They didn't get what he was saying. He was giving them some spiritual truth and they didn't get it. And so you know what happened with a bunch of these disciples? Look, verse 66 in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 66. Y'all got that reference, right? Look what it says. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walk no more with him. They walk no more with him. Why? Why? Because Jesus told them a lie? Because Jesus tried to mess them up? No, because Jesus told them a spiritual truth and they were so hung up in their own stupidity that they didn't even listen. And they didn't walk anymore with him. Do you think they might be paying that price today? I wonder. Folks, let me just tell you something. Be very careful. Don't just think, oh, those stupid idiots. We do the same thing. And we better be very careful. When the Word of God is telling us something, will you listen? Will you listen? Because if you don't, you are just like the disciples. Maybe you didn't walk away. Maybe you didn't, but your ears got shut. 1 Corinthians 3, all I can give you is milk. I can't give you meat because you're too busy weaning on the milk. Stop. At some point, at some point, dude's 13. If I kept giving him a baba at 13, you'd all look at me like, what are you doing to this kid, man? Come on, give the kid some food, will you? Well, I can't. I can't. He can't, he can't get it. He doesn't know how to pick up the fork and put it in the meat and eat it. He just doesn't know what to do with it. So I got to keep giving him milk till he figures it out. But you're all going to look at me like, dude, you're a bad parent. What's going on? Can I just tell you, that's what goes on in 95% of the churches today. You got a bunch of pastors that are feeding their people a bunch of milk. At best, if they're even doing that, never growing the people up, never get, why? Why? Well, you know, I've actually talked to pastors and this is what they told, well, they just can't get it. How long have you been their pastor for? I've been their pastor for 27 years. If you've been their pastor for 27 years, why don't they get it? Why are you blaming them? 
That's your fault. That's your job is to get them to get it. I'm not yelling. I'm excited. I'm Italian. Listen, that's the job of the pastor, Jeremiah 3.15, to teach knowledge and understanding. Your people should be growing. If they're not growing, don't blame your people. Blame you. You blame your people if your people aren't listening to what the pastor's saying if he's giving them the meat. That's when you can blame the people. Do you understand? And what I mean by that is, Jesus was clearly teaching them properly. The people weren't listening. We are, and we live in a society. Can I just say this, man? I'm not trying. Please just hear what I'm saying. I'm Italian, so sometimes, right, Jim, we're New Yorkers. Sometimes I just say things like they are. That's just the way I am, okay? But don't, don't go past what I'm saying and get angry about it or upset it because what I'm saying is right. You want to know what our problem in America today is? We are a bunch of babies who are entitled and think we deserve everything. That's our problem in America today. We think everybody owes us something. Let me just tell you, okay? Let me just give it to you the way it is. You want to know what you all deserve? You want to know what I deserve? Hell. That's what you deserve. You aren't entitled to anything. Anything you're entitled to is nothing, absolutely zero without him. Is that hard? I mean, he had a hard saying and many walked away. Is that hard? Yeah, maybe it is. But it's the truth, nonetheless. And truth hurts. It just does. We've got to get to the place in our lives where we realize truth is going to hurt. You want to know why? Because truth is going to make you uncomfortable because you don't like the truth. That's just the reality of it. Do you think you were born into this world knowing everything truth? All of God's word? No. That's the reason why you can only get fed with milk when you first get saved. No. But you know what's going to happen? God is going to start feeding some truth that's going to make you very uncomfortable. And you know what I say to that? Praise the Lord, amen, something's working. So you have a choice now to make with that. Either you're going to do what these, in my humble opinion, foolish idiots did. That's my Italian enemy. And walk away. Or you're going to let the Word of God do what the Word of God is trying to do in you. It's trying to make you holy. It's trying to cut that words I want to use right now, but I won't. That junk out of you, man. He's trying to cut the pieces away out of you that is worthless so that what comes out is something that is holy and unblameable. Huh? Isn't that what he says over there? How he wants to present the church? What? Holy. Unblameable. Huh? Pure. What do you need to do? Come on, ladies. And I always say ladies because I'm sure most men in here don't bake. What do you do with flour? Isn't it interesting that on, on many of these sacrifices, there's flour involved? What, what do you do with flour? You throw it on the, on the, and what do you do with it? Come on, what do you do? You pound it to make it what? Well, that's because you don't know how to bake. Billy, come on, we teach this lady? L listen, 
What do you do with flour? If you're going to have pure flour, what do you have to do with it? You got to pound it. You got to beat it. You got to do those things to it to make it pure. We could do that with anything. If you got, if you got, uh, 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 you remember those gold rush people back in California and all that stuff, right? Right? They would go and they would, they would stick their things in the ground and they would get all this mud and stuff. What would they have to do? Sift it to purify what is actually usable and gold and worth something and get rid of the rest of the junk that isn't. That's what God needs to do with every single one of us, and he does it at the table of showbread. Do y'all get it now? That's what's going on here. Now, let me just close with this. But here's the problem, as I told you. People walk into this tabernacle, and instead of going left to turn the light on, why? So it can illuminate the room by the way, here I am over at the table. How am I going to get over to that table of showbread? I wonder why Paul's always talking about walking. What is he talking about? Walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you want to know what's interesting? You want to know the flesh also is oftentimes uh, uh, parallel to in the Bible? The Word of God. Isn't it interesting? I've got to walk over to the table of showbread so that now God can done pound me. Do you know what I'm saying, man? Are you, get, are you getting it? He's already showed you what you were back at the laver. He's already showed you the mirror. He's already showed you, okay, now that you see what you are, let's go light up that menorah so that we can get over to the table of showbread so now that God can take you from what you were and transform you to what you should be. There's the pattern. Try to do it the other way. Let's think about it for a second. Come on. I walk in that tabernacle, it shuts. What do I see? Okay, I go right. I'm at the table of showbread. There we go. You just told me the table of showbread is God's word. I should be good, right, pastor? Here we go, man. I got the word of God. I'm at the table of showbread. What's the problem? You done can't see it. Can you see anything? You're going, yep, there it is. Okay. And this is what most people do when they come to this book. They're blind. They don't, they can't see it. Do you see why I said what happens is most people Unfortunately, they bypass where they should have gone and they go over to the table of showbread first and they get this book in their hands. They know just enough Bible. Yeah, look at how much I know, man. I'm good. I already been to that labor washing. You remember that, man? That's where I was. And God says, you learn just enough to make you dangerous. And now what happens is what's being preached, what's being taught is what? Garbage. Well, I'm preaching from the Word of God. It's got to be good. No, it don't got to be good because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself worthy, approved, worthy. Why? Because what can you do? I knew what I was saying. Yes, I do. Quiet down. Listen, why? Because what can you do? What does it say in that verse? You can wrongly. Divide 
That's why it tells you to rightly divide. If it's telling you to do something in a positive way, that must mean you can do something in a... Why would he say rightly divide it? Well, he's saying rightly divide it because there are many who wrongly divide it. Why is he saying present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable? Because there are many people presenting their bodies that is not holy and acceptable. There are many people bringing spiritual sacrifices to God that's not holy and acceptable. So he's making the point that it's got to be holy and acceptable. Do you understand? That's what, that's what God's, if God's calling something out, then he, it's because there's the opposite effect going on. Do you see what I'm saying? And listen, whenever God, whenever God tells you to take something off or put something off, put it off. Don't do that. End of story? Is it end of story? No, what does God always do? You better fill the void. You better put something on. And you want to know what he tells you to put on? Every single time. Hey, you better put this stuff off. You better get this stuff out of your life. You better get rid of it. And then when you're done taking it off, there's always a void. There's always a void. You better fill it with something. Because if you don't fill it with the Word of God, you're just going to fill it with a different problem. Right? Stop. Let's think about that for a second. And I'm done right here. Ready? All right, John? I'm done. Listen. So let's say all my life I'm a heavy drinker. And uh, I get to the point where, okay, I got it. There's something about getting drunk that guy doesn't like. He seems to be very clear on that in the Bible, which he is, by the way. Okay, okay. Right, so I'm going to stop drinking because obviously I have a problem with this, so I need to stop. Okay, good. Now what? Do you think that that person is just going to be good now? Really, do you think that? You're not. You want to know why? most likely you'll probably at some point go back into it. That's probably true. Although, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you are really that repentant of that thing that you could stop yourself from doing it. Okay? I think there is a level of, of, of where we can control our actions. There is a level of that. But here's the thing. When we are acting in the flesh, guess what's going to come out? The flesh. Okay, so if it isn't you went back to drinking, you know what you're going to do. You're going to find that high some way else. Some other way. Whether it be smoking marijuana, whether it be smoking cigarettes, whether it be, whatever it is. Listen, I'm just being paid to shut your ears for a minute. Listen, you could, you could replace that with sex. You just start having sex with everybody. I'm being serious, man. You're going to replace it with something. You are, and you might not even see what happened. God says, listen, when you and I have, ex when I have, let me, let me say it this way, when I have exposed a sin in your life and I'm telling you to take it off, you better replace it with something. What is it you replace it with? My word. Because if you replace that with my word, 
I'm telling you right now, you will never fall back into it. You filled the void. Do you understand? This is what takes place at the table of showbread. This is why God wants it. But you can't go there without going to the candlestick first. You need to get lit first. You have to. Because if you go to that table of showbread, you hear it all the time. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. You probably have said it yourselves. You probably have thought it yourselves. Well, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. I, I, and I told you last week, you want to know what the biggest swear word is in, in my opinion? It's not the F word. Although that's a bad one. You want to know what I think the biggest swear word is? For a Christian, I can't. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. You got the creator of the universe. He done created everything. You got the one that raised son from the dead. You got him living inside of you and you can't do that. I, I just can't do it. Whoa, time out. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Stop thinking it's a you that do it. Because in, in the reality is, you're right. You can't do it. Go get lit first, then you can do it. I promise you, you can. Because you want to know who's going to do it? Him in you. And he can do all things through Christ. Isn't that what Paul says? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, I can be anything I want. No, you cannot be. I'm sorry, Robert, but you cannot be the center for the New York Knicks. Just can't do it. I love, you see what's being taught and being embellished in our brains today. You can be anything you want if you just put your mind to it. No, you cannot. You cannot be anything you want if you put your mind to it. You can be everything you need to be in Christ if you put him in you. I'll buy you that. But you can't be anything you want. That's not the way this works. You aren't just going to be rich just because you prayed about it. And you prayed over somebody that you got money. Do you think God cares a an ounce about money? Do you think God's going, well, I'm going to bless you with some money. you think God cares about, what is money going to do for you? Matter of fact, we already learned money is the root of all evil. Throw a bunch of money in somebody's face, and I guarantee you there's going to be a problem. God, don't, God ain't going, he don't care nothing about that stuff. What he cares about is your spiritual condition. That's what he cares about. Because it's your spiritual condition he needs to get right so that you can be the vessel for him to be used properly. That's what he cares about. It's not about you. It was never about you. It will never be about you. It was never about me. It was never about him. It was never about this church. It was never about any. It was all about and his glory. That is the purpose of the church. And I'm telling you right now, most churches do not understand that. They don't. And we were just talking about it last night, right? You want to know what churches do, man? Oh, you need to be slain with the Spirit. Who does that make you about? Who does it make it about being slain? First of all, first of all, the last time I checked in John 16, it says that the Comforter will never speak of himself. So what do you need to be slain in the Spirit for? The Holy Ghost never speaks of himself. What does the Holy Ghost do? Who does he speak of? Him. Because it's always about him. And when I say him, specifically, we're talking about Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's always about him. It will always be about him. Winning people to 
Winning people to, is that about you? Well, I won 74 people to the Lord today. And you want me to give you a clap on the back? Good for you. You were doing what you're supposed to be doing. Good. It was all about him. Praise the Lord. Jesus got his glory today. Why, why, why do you need to tell me you won people to the Lord? Who cares that you did it? First of all, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Just be thankful and go fall on your hands and knees that God used that ridiculous vessel that you're in right now to get his glory. Do I sound angry? I'm not. <laughs> I'm just trying to drop some truth here, man. We got this stuff all backwards in the church today, man. Why? Because we don't let this book be the authority. If we just did. Listen, it is simple. It is simple. It's not difficult. We make it difficult. And you want to know when, we say, when I say we make it difficult? You want to know who the we is? You and me. And you and you and you. We make it difficult. Why? Because we're all about self. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about how I want it. It's all about where I want it. It's all about the things I need and the things that I, what, I, 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 I. And God's just sitting up there going, well, you just let me know when you're ready to make it about me. When you're ready to make it about me, we can talk. Until then, I'm not even going to hear your prayers. You think I just said something blasphemous? What are we talking about next week? I did it on purpose. I knew where we were going next week. What's next week? We're talking about the altar of incense. And you want to know what incense is in the Bible? Prayers. We're going to learn a little something about what true biblical prayer is next week. Amen? Because I don't think we're doing a lot of true biblical prayer up in churches today. Because if you stop and you think about what people pray about, they're always praying about what? What I want. Give me some money. Give me the house. Give me the car. Hey, I'm sick. Can you heal me? Hey. I don't think they read. I'm serious. I don't think they read Matthew chapter 6. I don't think that people do. Matthew chapter 6 is pretty obvious to me what it is we're supposed to be praying about. Better yet, how about this? How about we take the Apostle Paul and just read his prayers? What did the Apostle Paul pray about? Here's my challenge to you. Go and go read your, some of your New Testament books. Find places where Paul prayed and see what he prayed about. And if, if you can find me just one thing, one time, where Jesus or Paul prayed about physical things, you got something. And don't you go run to, well, he prayed for a thorn in his flesh. Time out. Did you read the whole verse? Did you put it in context? Do you even know what the thorn in his flesh was? Because the thorn in his flesh was Satan buffeting him. Is that a physical thing? Can Satan physically affect any of us? No. He can spiritually affect us, though. That's what he was praying about. Get it right, read what it says, and stop the nonsense. Okay? Amen. All right. Father, we come before you, Lord. And, and yes, I do apologize. It's 1220. I blame Jim. Uh, Father, we come before you, Lord. I uh, just want to thank you for this opportunity to come together and open your word. Thank you for these people, folks uh, here, uh, Lord. I, I am grateful that, uh, uh, that, that they're gathering around your word, Lord, and we're, and we're trying to learn and grow together. Lord, uh, everybody in this room is at a different place. 
And so none of us are, are there. And, and listen, we're never going to be there until we're there. <laughs> but we all need to take the step forward. Wherever we are, we need to make a conscious step to, make, make the, to take the next step forward in our walk with you. And, and Lord, that's just what we're all here for together. Yes, there are some folks that are further along than others, but the, the ones that are further along are supposed to be picking up the others that, that need help and, and putting them on their back and helping them grow. That is the point of your church. It's why you have formed this body of Christ. So Lord, I pray that we would be that church. I pray we would be that people. I pray that we would never look down on somebody for what they don't and do know. Uh, we would never uh, 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 do anything to harm anybody purposely. Lord, we all make mistakes things happen, but we would be a forgiving people. We would forgive each other's trespasses. We would love one another. We would help when we can. We would uh, do the things that you, living inside of us, most certainly would do. Lord, I thank you for uh, just who you are, for your word. Uh, I pray for safe travels for those that uh, are going to uh, the conference next week. Uh, at the end of the day, Lord, may your will be done. May we grow, may we be uh, a people that learn uh, from your word what uh, true marriage uh, should be. Uh, may we be better for it. Uh, Lord, so we love you, we thank you, and certainly in Jesus' name we pray. And all of the God's people said, love y'all, have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us info at onebaptistjacks.world.